Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. Uh, I want to update you guys on what's been going on. I'm sure you have noticed that uh, there haven't been many shows over the last few days or so. And uh, to be to be honest, I got, I got pretty sick. Uh, you might be able to hear it in my voice. And I am I'm doing better now. The voice thing is just kind of the remnants of uh, what I was going through when I was going through it. But we're all good now. And because we have some time to make up for, we have a great week of shows scheduled for you, uh, starting uh, not just for, for, for the Anthony Irwin show, but across the entire feed, uh, but starting with today's show, in which I have Ricky O'Donnell uh, of SB Nation. He's our draft guru. He is as good, if not better, than anybody at covering this stuff. Uh, he and I go deep on some of the prospects that he links to the Lakers in his mock drafts and some of the other uh, players who have worked out for the Lakers and then just some other guys who might make some sense for them. So ton of information in this show, a really, really fun show. I, it's, it's, it's an absolute, it was an absolute blast to record and I'm, I'm happy to be back. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be healthy and I'm happy to be back. Uh, so let's get to it. seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? All right, and we are joined now by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation of... How many mock drafts do you do in an annual in a, in a typical year? Probably less than you would think, but I would guess like six. Like I usually I do the first one the day after the draft, right? For the next year, <laughs> yeah. so that's always my favorite one to do, actually, because really? uh, you have a little more latitude on where mm. you think guys should go. There isn't really a consensus opinion on it, and it's funny looking back at them through the years. There's been some that have been really accurate. On that first one, I had Luka Doncic number one. He didn't go number one, but I still feel pretty good about it. I thought Bill Simmons said that, only but... him and somebody else knew about Luka. That's that's the weirdest thing. Hmm. I don't know anything about that, but uh, <laughs> then I also had uh, I think I had Emmanuel Mudiay number one in oh. 2015 after watching him at the McDonald's All American game. So you never know; it's a mixed bag, but it's fun to do. And uh, yeah, I think as draft season ramps up. I'm probably going to do a couple more. Yeah, it's 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 a fun subject. I think if if it's approached the right way, like the the one thing that I get frustrated with when I when I pay attention to draft analysis, not just as I'm getting ready for a draft, but after that following season, during that during that following season, is people will have their flags planted on the guys that they like compared to guys that they didn't like or that other people liked more than them or whatever. And the thing that I appreciate about your writing is that as a player that you like uh, meets those expectations, you treat that in very much the same way as a player that you were maybe a little lower on exceeding expectations. It's just, it's just, it's something I enjoy about, about your writing and your approach to the subject in general. Um, before we move on to, to specific names, 
the biggest thing here with the with the Lakers, I think, and if they are going to keep their uh, number twenty two pick, is shooting. Like they're they're their <laughs> shooters in the postseason were hilariously bad, so bad that when Lethal Shooter went on social media with his uh, spinning rim contraption and then backboard with the nails and knives sticking out of it. Um, a lot of people, myself included, said, oh, yeah, that makes sense why the, the Lakers shot so poorly because a lot of their guys are, are lethal shooter clients. I'm just curious about the process at looking at shooting. And without giving away too many trade se- secrets, is there anything that you look for specifically when you're trying to figure out if somebody's shot is going to translate from college or whatever prior league that they're coming from to the NBA? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that it's one that, you know, there's not really a definitive answer for. You just have to sort of feel it out based on a number of different things. The first thing I look for is just history. And that obviously, you know, guys will have their draft year. The majority of the prospects taken in the first round are one and done type guys. So you're just looking at one year of uh, college level production or international level production typically. But I try to find all the numbers I can going back through their AAU years, uh, going through like the FIBA World Cup years, uh, both Americans and international prospects will play in that. So any shooting numbers you can get, I think are really important from three point range for sure, but also from the free throw line. I think typically uh, good free throw numbers are an indication of good touch. Uh, There's plenty of prospects who will, you know, just get lucky sort of on a low volume three point shooting, have a high percentage, but they shoot 62% from the foul line. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's a red flag when you're trying to project how someone's going to shoot moving on to the next level. So I think you got to try to take the full picture into view. And that's sort of how I do my draft analysis. I think that, you know, probably for the last seven, eight years at this point, uh, I've been covering college basketball in the NBA at SB nation. And part of covering college basketball is covering recruiting. Well, mm-hmm. the best recruits often become the top draft picks. So uh, I always try to go out to the AAU stuff. I, I used to go to the EYBL every year. The uh, pandemic sort of thwarted that over the last couple of years, but same thing for USA basketball's junior mini camp. Uh, we're recording this right now, you know, about 30 minutes after the USA just won a gold medal in the U 19 world cup. Uh, when USA basketball chooses those junior teams, they typically bring the top 60 or 70 prospects in the country, regardless of age into Mm -hmm. Colorado Springs. And I've gone to that event three or four times, Uh, always super fun to just watch the best young players in the country uh, go at each other for a few days over scrimmages. So that's how I tend to do it. I try to get all of the data you can, not just in one year. And then also just like, just talking to people. Uh, Cause Mm -hmm. you know, people, I think that like, the draft, the draft evaluation process. It's like, you never have enough time to watch everything right. or to talk to everyone. So yeah, just picking as many people's brains as you can. Uh, I always like to talk to, you know, high school coaches. I like to talk to recruiting analysts, guys who like knew the prospects before they went into college to get their gauge. And I'd say it's a very inexact science, but you can, all you can do is make an educated guess. And of course, shooting, unlike things like height and speed that's something that you can improve and we've seen that many times uh over the last you know however many years in nba draft evaluation so do you do you pay as much attention to mechanics per se given that they can improve over the course of a career or or is it more of a statistical analysis i 
I think what you're looking for in mechanics is just consistency, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's plenty of guys who have sort of odd looking jumpers who are very good shooters. The first name that pops to mind immediately is Tyrese Halliburton, Mm -hmm. who had a proven track record as a over 40% three point shooter during his two years at Iowa state. Uh, Also in, he played FIBA for team USA in one of the junior tournaments. So uh, like he's someone who has sort of a funky release on his jumper. I think there were some people who questioned how that jumper would translate, but to me, it was never much of a question. Like it looked weird, but it was, the form was consistent. It's not like his mechanics were changing wildly from shot to shot. So uh, that's really what I look for. And then the other thing that's just so big too, I think is a quick release because mm. especially when you get in the league, the margins get smaller in terms of uh, the guys who are closing out on you, their length, their closing speed. So you mm. got to be able to get your shot off quickly, I think is something I, I tend to look for. And in terms of mechanics, you just want consistency. Any Kyle Kuzma, anybody who's watched Kyle Kuzma shoot the last few years would say that the consistency is... <laughs> What, what lacks, especially in his shot. Every year, it's some new jumper. Um, all right, last thing before we move on to some more specific names. The Lakers are in a spot where they are drafting 22nd, and they have a choice to make. Do they move the pick for some more ready or proven NBA talent on a playoff roster, or do they roll the dice with a young player and, and hope that they're ready to help a championship contender next season Um, with so many kids going one and done. And then with so many young players, like the Phoenix suns are super young uh, with, with a lot of their role players are teams in your opinion, becoming more or less open to the idea of a rookie potentially stepping in and helping a, a playoff team. Because that's that's the, the the top question here facing this Lakers team that might have to go into a bit of a rebuild as they try or a revamp as they try to 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 make up for what the season was. Yeah, I think it's a really fascinating question. Uh, the Lakers are just different from any other team because they're on LeBron's timeline, and the question yeah. is how many Hall of Fame goat level years does LeBron have left and you have to sort of maximize those years. So I guess, you know, if it was up to me, I'd probably flip the pick, right? Like Mm -hmm. get all the proven talent that you can. Uh, The 22nd pick is a pretty decent trade chip. I think, you know, that's more appealing than what, you know, if they were picking 30 or something. So uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably try to flip it if you can, why not? And then, you know, you want to talk about like young guys making an impact in the playoffs. Well, I'm trying to think like how many young guys, how many rookies really right. made an impact in the playoffs? Like Anyeka Okongwu, who was the sixth pick this past season, he was pretty decent playing backup center minutes for the Hawks on their run to the Eastern Conference Finals. But, you know, the Suns had a lottery pick this past year. They took a guy named Jalen Smith who went to Maryland. He hasn't played the whole season. Like right. he's, you know, he's not a factor in their championship run whatsoever. Uh Obviously, guys like DeAndre Ayton, he was the number one overall pick. This is his, what, third year? And then you got Michael Bridges. I believe it's his fourth year. Uh, those Cam guys, Johnson, have, I think, is in, what, his fourth year, too? Cam, yeah, probably in his, in his third year, maybe. But, yeah. yeah, like, those guys are a little bit seasoned, right? Like, they they have they do have some experience at their side. So, Cam, Cam might only be in his second year, actually, now that I think about it. So, anyways, it's tough for a rookie to play a big role right. on a team that is going to have championship aspirations. So uh, it's all about value. 
And, you know, then I guess the other extension of this discussion is like, do you draft for fit or do you draft for best available? Again, the Lakers sort of, if they were going to keep the pick, they, they are operating under a different context than most other teams in the league because they have LeBron at the twilight stages of his superstardom. So, you know, I would typically say draft the best available player. That usually means draft one of the youngest available players, but for the Lakers, you know, maybe it does make more sense to just draft a shooter draft for fit and hope that they can contribute right away. So, you know, these are all things to think about. And uh, I think there's not just one best approach, right? The best approach is the the best one for your own team, not like some overarching mythical uh, correct answer in terms of evaluating the draft. Yeah, that, that's that, that's basically exactly where I align. It's just a matter of what situation comes up on draft night because the Lakers can't move the pick. I don't believe until draft night. They have to they have to make a selection for another team and then move that pick in that trade, uh, which which complicates things too. It gives you a little bit less time to uh, to make a decision. All right, let's uh, let's start with in terms of actual names here. I want to start with Cam Thomas. Uh, because he's who you have going to the Lakers uh, in your in your mock draft here on SBNation.com, uh, a six four guard uh, from LSU, the Lakers have potentially three point guards who are all going to be point guard combo guards who are all going to be looking to get contracts this year, and Dennis Schroeder, Alex Caruso, and Taylor Horton Tucker, and so the question becomes like. Are you willing to pay up to keep all three? And if not, how do you replace one of those guys? Uh, would Cam Thomas be a decent replacement for, for them or, or, or for one of them? Or, or what, what puts you having them drafting Cam Thomas here? No, Cam Thomas ain't no point guard. Cam yeah. Thomas <laughs> is, uh, I think, you know, our friend Harrison would describe him as a bucket. And Cam Thomas has a one-track mind to get up shots and score points. 6'4 guard, pretty strong. I'd say he's got three-level scoring ability. Uh, he's the type of guy who would often take 20 field goal attempts in a game at LSU. And, uh, you know, saying that he could be a point, be your point guard uh, is like saying Jordan Crawford could be – or J- right. Jordan Jamal Clarkson. Crawford. Well, I guess well, Jordan Crawford, too, back in the day. <laughs> Jordan Crawford, Jamal Crawford, Jordan Clarkson. Right. Any, all, this all works in the same yeah. sense. But, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, if – the reason I gave the Lakers Cam Thomas is because I feel like the Lakers could just have used a guy who could be a creator, Mm -hmm. uh, even if he's only creating for himself off the bench and just like having a guy who can get a bucket and a pinch in a bench role. To me, that is a role that perhaps Cameron Thomas could fill as a rookie or early in his NBA career. So six, four shooting guard, pretty strong, not always particularly efficient. I mean, he had plenty of, you know, five for 18 shooting nights, I think during Mm. his freshman year at LSU, but he could get really, really hot too. And he could be one of those guys who hits four or five threes in a game. Uh, I do think he has three level scoring ability. He loves the pull-up, the mid-range pull-up, the three-point pull-up. He tends to dribble the air out of the ball a little bit. Like, I guess if I was building a team, I wouldn't want a guy who I would view as a ball stopper. But Mm -hmm. of course, like these are sort of the same criticisms that, you know, people gave to Devin Booker before he Mm -hmm. sort of went on his big playoff run this year. So um, I guess the the scouting report on Cam Thomas is just like he's a pure shooting guard. Uh, He can shoot from three. He can, uh, you know, get to the basket, get mid range points as well. But he's a pure scorer. He's not someone who you're drafting for defense or facilitating. 
but his scoring ability is really advanced for his age. And I could see him being a, a solid NBA bench scorer from early in his career. Next guy that you have on your mock draft going here is Isaiah Jackson. You have him going to Kentucky. And this is somebody who I am probably a lot higher on than the rest of Lakers Twitter. I, I, I'm kind of springing this one on you because I just remembered that I, I, I remembered liking the scouting report that you have him. He's a 6'10", big, super springy. And with Anthony Davis still not wanting to play the five, I, I feel like if you are going to use a rookie in a spot, if you isolate him to just, Hey, defend the rim, run the, you know, run rim to rim and don't make a complete buffoon out of yourself in the, on the perimeter defensively. Like that's the kind of role I, I wouldn't mind trying to isolate a rookie on, on a, on a point guard or on a, on a title contending team. So do you think Isaiah Jackson could do that or, or, or do you think I'm, I'm, I'm reaching here? I don't really know if he's big enough to play center. Like mm. him and Davis would be a super interesting pairing because I think, you know, both of those guys have somewhat similar skill sets in a sense. Like obviously Davis is one of the best players in the world. And Jackson is coming off a one and done year at Kentucky. That was like somewhat underwhelming, but mm. lob catcher would be kind of, you know, the, the one thing you could count on him for early in his career. I think, you know, weak side rim protection, uh, there's such a steep learning curve when it comes to yeah. being a defensive center in the league. Like even guys who look like good defensive prospects who are big men coming into the NBA draft tend to struggle their first couple of years. So uh, like Jackson is a shot blocker more than a great defender, if that makes yeah. sense. Like there okay. is just a lot of responsibility for the center defensively in today's NBA. And uh, he's someone who can finish plays above the rim on both ends of the floor, but you know, so much of it is just like reading the reading the opposing offense and uh, knowing when to help, when not to overhelp, things like that. And uh, to me, Jackson, yeah, he's sort of a little bit like Harold, honestly. Like he's just like an energy big who I think, you know, he'd come in and give you some energy off the bench. Mm -hmm. He played his one of his high school years at Spire Academy in Ohio, which is where LaMelo Ball played when he came back to the United States from Lithuania. And that's when I first started to notice Isaiah Jackson. I was watching a lot of LaMelo Ball at Spire, and I'm like, man, this Isaiah Jackson can just jump out of the gym. So good at putbacks, had some highlight reel blocks, so many lobs from LaMelo. And yeah, like that's kind of his skill set. He's not someone who's going to be a floor stretching big. Uh, I'd say his defensive ability is a little flashier. It's like more flashy than functional, but he can make an impact on the glass for sure. And you know what? Kentucky was tough this year. And this often happens to Kentucky because John Calipari likes to play like three or four power forwards at the same time. So they never have any shooting. It's just <laughs> like, they just kind of try to win with offensive rebounds and again this year like I kind of felt like Jackson was out of position like obviously what you want to do with him is surround him by shooting have him just play like a Clint Capella type of role where he's just diving to the rim and catching lobs uh and he couldn't really do that at Kentucky this year because they had no floor spacing around him so he was impressive in his limited time with Kentucky I liked him going back to his high school days uh out of Spire and yeah, I think that he would be a good value for them at 22. I don't know how much he would fill an immediate need for them, but I think as a bouncy energy big off the bench, he's someone who could have a pretty good career. And if you can get him at 22, I think that's good value just in a vacuum. 
Yeah, people listening to this show uh, will know that I missed any big not named Anthony Davis who could catch a lob and dunk it last year uh, for the Lakers. So, so that was basically, you know, the beginning of my interest in him. And then seeing some of the other tools that you were talking about um, made him more interesting to me. Also now kind of going back to the guard position, um, Jaden Springer is uh, I'm not, I don't do it. Don't yeah, I'm going to do it. Springing up the uh, mock mock drafts everywhere. Um, and he looks really interesting to me. He's a six, three guard with a six, seven, six, eight wingspan, um, and can jump out of the gym. It looks like. So where, where are you at with, with, uh, Jaden Springer? Love him. Most underrated player in the draft this year. There's a big golf and opinion between mm-hmm. your armchair analysts on Twitter and apparently NBA teams of what they think of Jaden Springer, because I think in the most recent draft express mock. Uh, John Gavoni had him going 29th and Mm. I would view Jaden Springer as someone who's a top 10 overall prospect in this draft I've been a big fan of him again dating back to high school as a junior at IMG Academy he led them to the mythical national championship in high school basketball and was just like the driving force on getting them to the title like through Mm -hmm. that playoff run and to win the championship Uh, He's the youngest American player in this class. So, you know, you got to wonder, is he going to be someone who is going to take a few years to develop? Because he's younger than most of the guys in the next draft class behind him. When I'm starting to look ahead to 2022, uh, he's just really young. He's still not 19 years old. So, uh, but what he is, is a 6'4 guard, super duper strong. And that is going to be sort of his defining physical trait. Uh, as he goes up into the basketball world. He's really good at point of attack defense, Mm. hard to screen, someone who just like can rip you at the nail in terms of forcing turnovers. Uh, I think he's a smart, like situational defender too, in terms of his awareness. So his defense is going to be his calling card early in his career. I think he can absolutely hound ball handlers and he has a little bit of defensive versatility. He'll probably guard two, maybe three positions just because of his length and his strength offensively we didn't really get to see what he could do at Tennessee he led Tennessee in scoring this year uh, but Tennessee's offense was just miserable with Rick Barnes as the head coach their Mm. defense was top five he was a key part of that defense but offensively again no spacing on the floor no shooting so it just felt like everything was so much harder for him than he had to be Uh, I was a little bit disappointed with his inability to like consistently get to the rim and instead like he would have to get like sort of halfway to the paint and then use his strength to either bulldoze guys or take like fall away jumpers. So he wasn't really getting a ton of easy buckets. I think his passing reads were a little bit, uh, you know, sort of mediocre and underwhelming. Mm-hmm. doesn't look like a brilliant natural facilitator the way someone like Sharif Cooper is, who's also in this draft. But I mean, the, the reason you draft Jaden Springer is he's super young. He's a proven winner already I would say because of his high school pedigree uh he's going to be a monster on ball defender and then his offensive game I feel like is only going to keep developing from here I sort of view him being best next to a big initiator similar to LeBron, LeBron. I mean a lot of guys would be great next to LeBron right so yeah. this is exactly a huge Dennis Schroeder might not might <laughs> the Lakers had one guy who was not but yeah <laughs> yeah and uh Yeah, I think that, you know, he's probably not going to be the type of point guard who's going to be running pick and rolls early in his career and making high level decisions, but he can attack the basket. Uh, He basically sort of has a 
sort of, let's say at this point, at least average pass dribble shoot skill set. And he's so young that he's just going to keep getting better. And he's already awesome on defense. And one thing I think I undervalued in prospects when I was doing this over the last few years, is just like strength. Strength can really help you, especially when you have it at a young age and Springer's already very strong. So that's only going to continue to improve as he gets older. Uh, he's already, uh, he's already a player who plays with a lot of force. So to me, I love Jaden Springer. I think he's a top 10 overall prospect in this draft. I guess he's probably going to be available at 22 because the NBA doesn't seem to like him as much as the nerds on Twitter do. So yeah, any team that takes Jaden Springer is going to get an A draft grade for, for me. I have loved him since he was a high school player. And uh, I think that his year at Tennessee sort of undersold his ability because he was sort of in a rough team context this year, but very talented overall player. And uh, you know, someone who's that young, uh, like he's a year younger, a full year younger than Cade Cunningham. He's like a year and a half younger than Evan Mobley mm-hmm. uh, to already be so good, I think is, is a huge feather in his cap. What do you think is going on there in instances like that, where the NBA is so much lower on a player that draft geeks are, are at with a, with a certain player? Is it, is it, is it a cultural thing? Like, is it, a, a you had to have played kind of a thing like what, what do you think goes on there yeah I think the NBA is probably more skeptical of the shooting mm-hmm. uh, he shot 44 percent from three but he only took like 40 attempts so it was on low volume shooting uh, and I think that they don't see him as like a tremendously gifted facilitator and he is only a 6'4 guard so you know it's he's not overwhelmingly big or anything but he, he does have great size for the position I think uh and it's kind of funny, like there was a, one of the other draft guys, I don't know if it was Draft Express or someone else said that NBA scouts are like, yeah, he reminds us of DeAnthony Melton. Well, DeAnthony Melton is another guy who should have went way really higher. Though. <laughs> he did. So like DeAnthony Melton slipping is not exactly, uh, you know, it doesn't exactly back up your opinion that uh, Jaden Springer should slip too. So I don't know. And I would say that one thing I've learned covering the draft over the last many years it's just humility (laughs) you know like I I don't know I I used to maybe think I was smarter than people I no longer believe that if the NBA doesn't view him as a great prospect you know fine cool I'm not going to be defensive about it but uh I guess dating back to that first preseason mock draft I do the day after the normal draft I had him as a top 10 prospect and I thought he had a good year this year there was no reason for me to really knock him down so Mm -hmm. I'm sticking with it uh I think he it might take him a couple years for sure. Like I could see him being like a second team guy when he really gets his opportunity. Uh, and, you know, a team like the Lakers, maybe, you know, you don't want to draft the youngest prospect in the draft, perhaps like you want someone who could maybe contribute more right away. But I really like Jaden Springer. I think he's going to have a great NBA career. They already did that though. When they drafted Talon Horton Tucker, like right. they drafted somebody who was, who was really, really young. Um, next guy that I'm interested in sounds kind of like the opposite of of Springer and in, in Chris Duarte. He's a little older. Um, he is a shooter and uh, is but still considered an, an interesting prospect given the shooting ability and, and what the Lakers desperately need. Love Duarte already 24 years old. How many times do you see that for a rookie? I mean, if the Lakers were to run to the championship next year, he'd be a 25-year-old rookie. You just don't see that too much (laughs) in today's league when everyone seems like they're a one and done. But Duarte was a guy who spent multiple years in junior college. I think he did a post-grad year and then multiple years in junior college before arriving at Oregon. But his game just sort of seamlessly transitions 
to a complementary wing shooter role in the NBA, I think. Like mm-hmm. uh, defensively is where he really stands out. Six six wing, who's just a tough, smart defender. Uh, I think he's you know he's able to force steals, but beyond that, he's just like a good team defender in terms of knowing when to rotate. Uh, and he's got a pretty big body at 6'6", 200 pounds. And then offensively, I think he's mostly going to be a catch-and-shoot guy. He hit 42% of his threes this year. Uh, he's not someone who's going to really create his own offense. you got to set him up. But, hey, for the Lakers or for most other teams, that's fine. You could be a guy who can get spoon-fed three-pointers as long as you yeah. knock him down, play good defense on the other end. That's an appealing player in today's NBA, certainly. Uh, he's not, like, overwhelmingly athletic or anything, and he's not, like, uh, particularly big for the position, but I think he meets the minimum thresholds of size and athleticism. And then defensively, he's, he's good. He's really mm-hmm. good defensively. He can get on the floor, I think, defensively early in his career. And he's going to be a floor spacer, just a guy who's going to be a spot-up threat, catch-and-shoot guy. So uh, I think Duarte would be a really good pick for the Lakers at 22 if they were going to keep the pick and they were looking for kind of a proven contributor from day one like yeah why not just take the old guy he might not have the ceiling or the long-term upside of someone like Jaden Springer but he might be more suited to contribute right away so he would be a good pick uh to me for the Lakers at 22 if he's still on the board yeah ceiling doesn't seem to matter if you're if you have a two three-year window with LeBron James you know unless you think that Springer can you know, reach, start to reach that ceiling in that time, it's kind of tough to, to really care much about ceiling immediately. Um, the other guys that you kind of sort of have to talk about because of the clutch connection there, we saw that the Lakers drafted Taylor Horton Tucker, um, because, not because of, but in part because of the clutch connection. Um, they have uh, Kai Jones, BJ Boston, and Jericho Sims, who are all represented from clutch or by clutch. But of those three guys, who would you show interest in for the Lakers? Yeah, they're all interesting. I can talk about all of them. Kai Jones, mm-hmm. man, Kai Jones. Uh, he didn't start playing until he was 15. Mm-hmm. I think he did a post-grad year, and then he was at Texas for two years. Came off the bench, only averaged like eight points a game this year. But, oh, my God, his highlight reel plays were just so tantalizing. 6'11", Pogo stick who can also shoot and handle Mm. some incredible defensive highlights in terms of his shot blocking ability, really good in transition, but he's another guy who I always get, I get fooled by these guys every year, man, going through the draft. (laughs) It's like the highlight real athlete who's really big and bouncy, who also flashes some skill you know, Marquise Chris comes to mind as another guy who's sort of like this Tyrus Thomas as a bulls fan, uh, you know, back from, I think he got picked in what? (laughs) Yeah six or something i was a big tyrus thomas guy back in the day but uh yeah i, I contend wanna, like, he would be better now like i contend that he'd like he oh, would yeah. he'd have staying power now he was like he was drafted like an era too early right he would have been a small small ball five now instead of you know being shoehorn is a four on mm-hmm. a team without a lot of floor spacing but yeah, I'm kind of trying to slow myself down on Kai Jones because Kai Jones is the prospect I always fall for that mm-hmm. typically doesn't pan out, quite frankly. <laughs> Just overwhelming physical tools, uh, really impressive shooting flashes, attacking closeouts. I mean, the top 10 Kai Jones plays from this year are as impressive as the top 10 plays from any prospect in the draft, besides for probably Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham, maybe Jalen Green. Like he, mm. his highlight reel plays were like on that level. They mm. were unbelievable. 
with that being said, I think that basketball is more, it's about more than highlight real plays. It's about like processing the game at a high level. Now he hasn't been playing for that long. He was a track guy. He he's from the Bahamas came to the United States to be a long jumper or triple jumper or something. And then he just kept growing and he grew from like six, five to six <laughs> eleven. And he's sort of, you know, your classic late bloomer who's just sort of getting to know the game and, He's someone who, you know, can you improve feel for the game? Well, he probably can because he hasn't even been playing the game that long. So uh, I'm really intrigued by Kai Jones, but I feel like he's very much a lottery ticket boomer bus guy. So why not? Like draft for ceiling. I'd always say draft for ceiling, but there's also probably a chance he's out of the league in five years. So uh, yeah, that's he's he's the lottery ticket boomer bus guy this year. Roll the dice on him if you want to. I mean, at 22, I, he's not going to be there at 22, I don't think. Yeah. If he was, it's like, what the hell? Who cares? Like, Yeah, that's the consensus who, is that he's going way earlier. Yeah, he could probably go 10 picks earlier. Spurs at 12, I think, would be a decent landing spot for him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's the lottery ticket this year. Like, he's someone who, if he hits, I think that he could play at the level of the screen defensively because he's pretty quick on his feet. He could also play drop coverage because he's long and he's bouncy. And then offensively, he's a guy who you could either off the, you know, off a screen, you could throw him a lob or he can pop for a three. So, and then in transition, he's just made some amazing plays this year in terms of his body control, his finishing. Uh, you put him in the dunker spot, have him attack a closeout. He's, he's just a really tantalizing prospect to me, but uh, will he pan out? I don't know. We'll see. It'll be a fun guy to monitor his career. A couple of those other guys I'll hit real quick. BJ Boston. So as I've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast already, I always do the, the look ahead one day after the next, the current draft. And I had BJ Boston number two coming wow. into the year and he had a really disappointing year production standpoint. I think that, you know, it probably wasn't fair because that was sort of a hot take by me putting him number mm. two. That wasn't really the consensus. Uh, I put him number two because he played high school ball with Bronny James at Sierra Canyon. He transferred from Atlanta to Sierra Canyon for his last year of high school ball. And his flashes were just awesome. Six foot seven, six, 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 seven skinny guard who really had advanced ball handling ability Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of pull-up jumpers, some facilitating flashes too, that were really enticing, but uh, just so physically weak. And I think that that really held him back a bit at Kentucky. And then also Kentucky's team contacts didn't really allow him to score any easy buckets because they didn't have good point guard play and they didn't have any floor spacing. So it's kind of hard to be a wing who's asked to create off the dribble when you don't have any floor spacing and you don't have anyone who could set you up for easy buckets. Uh, but Boston is a really interesting long-term prospect, I think, just because he still has some ball handling ability at that height. That's more advanced than a lot of guys uh, who are similar size, similar position, similar age. I think he's going to be a better shooter than he showed at Kentucky this past season. Just needs to get physically stronger. If he gets stronger, I think that that would really unlock the rest of his game, but he needs like significant strength added. And it will probably be at least a two year process. Like, you know, he's the two years away from being two years away guy in this mm-hmm. class. Uh also, I mean, he had to endure this horrible tragedy with Terrence Clark, his college teammate, dying. Mm-hmm. They were working out at the same workout together. And, right. you know, they leave and Terrence dies in a car accident. So just like horrible. I hope that he is okay mentally 
more than anything yeah. else because I can't imagine enduring that type of tragedy at such a young age or at any age. So hopefully his mind is good. And like, that's the most important thing. Like make sure that he is in a good place for himself just to continue his life, not even his career. And in terms of basketball, like it'll probably work itself out eventually because he is really talented. He's just going to need time and patience to develop. But uh, yeah, I don't even know if he's going to go in the first round anymore because his his year at Kentucky was pretty underwhelming, but especially if you get that guy late first or early second, like why not? That's another sort of a lottery ticket type where you just take a young player who's obviously talented. He was a consensus top five or top six recruit coming into college, had an underwhelming college year at Kentucky, but that's happened so many times to guys at Kentucky who have had underwhelming years because Calipari only recruits power forwards basically. (laughs) So really interesting prospect and just, just hope he's good. I'm rooting for him for sure. Really, would he him. would drafting him qualify as uh, tampering for Bronny James, or do you think LeBron being on the roster is already enough? Yeah, I don't know. I think LeBron <laughs> LeBron being on the roster is probably enough to check that box. Um, I before I, I do want to. My buddy um, Mike Garcia is really really good at draft stuff, and he told me specifically to um, to ask you about Usman Garuba. And, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious why. Yeah. Now you should have Mike on the pod because Mike probably knows more about this stuff than I do. He's a really good draft follow for any Lakers fans. I know yep. Mike, At Canyon Driver, everybody. a Substack newsletter too, where he's writing specifically about Lakers draft stuff and it's been really good. So make mm-hmm. sure you subscribe to that in terms of Garuba. I really like Garuba. Uh, So he's sort of an undersized, burly big man who has sort of been viewed as an international rising star since he was like 15 years old. Uh, He debuted for Real Madrid's senior team, I think it's 17, 16 or 17. And he's just sort of been like this ascendant young player ever since. And what's interesting is usually when you think of like an ascendant young player, you're thinking of like a scorer, a bucket getter, someone who has some special on-ball skills. But what's so interesting about Garuba is it's defense that makes him stand out. And it's like, it's so basically six foot eight long arms. I think plus eight wingspan might've might be like a seven, three wingspan guy. That's crazy. Strong chest, quick feet, almost feels like he was built specifically to defend the pick and roll in space (laughs) in today's NBA. Right. And I think that that's sort of going to be his calling card. It's going to be his defense for sure in the NBA. Like ideally if this guy is sort of like a pick and roll eraser, yeah, I think he's probably worthy of a lottery pick just based on his defensive skill set. Uh, offensively, has a has a long way to go, but I was impressed with his passing flashes. Uh, you know, over the last two seasons, I would say playing internationally, and then his shooting was a little underwhelming this year. But he did knock down them at like a somewhat decent clip. I think he was around thirty percent at the year on low volume. So you know, eventually he could maybe be a guy who can hit spot up threes. And if he's setting the screen on offense, I think he, his processing gifts are sharp enough that like he, he can, you know, run the four on three break type of thing and the mm-hmm. short roll. And yeah, he seems to make good decisions with the ball as a passer. So his passing ability to me is really intriguing offensively. Uh, I don't really know about, you know, the rest of his offensive skill set. you know, Potentially, he could develop into a spot-up shooting threat for sure. He did show some of that this year. But I'd say his offensive game right now is lacking. Defensively, he looks awesome. But, you know, he's not 
really big enough to be an NBA center because he's six, eight. So he's probably like a small ball option, but yeah, is a small ball five off the bench or is a four playing next to a center who could shoot. Uh, I think he's really interesting just because he is so quick. He's really versatile defensively. He's someone who could defend at the level of the screen for sure, or who could bring back like hard hedging and trapping defensively because he's pretty confident out on the perimeter. Uh, I, I have always been really interested by Garuba. He remains someone I'm very interested in. And I think that uh, this probably wasn't the best pre-draft year for him, but uh, he's going to be fascinating to track over the next couple of years. And uh Definitely looks like one of the best defensive prospects in this class, no doubt. Sounds like a Vogel player for sure. Um, all right, that's going to do it for the the grouping of names that we have so far in 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 our various iterations of of our draft conversations over the course of this thing. Um, do you have another mock coming out soon that you want to plug, or or uh, for right now, the the mock that you have up on SB Nation is is already very good. A lot of great information there. Um, what are you working on next? Yeah, we're drop, dropping a draft app that is going to hopefully come out in the next week. Uh, I'm going to have my top 30 board. I really got to get working on that, get uh, <laughs> cranking those out. But I did half of it already, and I've already written like 5,000 words on just mm-hmm. the lottery pick. So got to flush that out. Uh, it'll, I never liked, I never do a board. Mm. I just kind of do the mock drafts because people are interested in them, but we thought it would be cool to build an app this year that's going to pull articles from around the network on each individual player. And I'll just give a little couple of paragraph blurb yeah. on uh, each of the players. So I'm looking forward to finishing that up, dropping that. That should be out by the end of the week. And yeah, check that out. And I'm sure that it's going to direct you to all sorts of great content around the SB Nation network when you click on each guy. That sounds amazing. That sounds really, really cool. Makes me feel worse about the stuff that I'm working on right now. <laughs> uh, Ricky, thank you very much for hopping on. I know you're super busy right now, and I, uh, I look forward to m- continuing this conversation over the course of the draft process. Thanks, man.